not so much anger as fear. I really desperately wanted to know what the future would look like. All I wanted was even just a glimpse at the future to see that Arlo would be walking and to see that he wouldn't appear like the images I had in my head. After a stressful pregnancy, Melanie Dimmitt and Rowan Dalgleish's son Arlo was born by an emergency caesarean in 10 minutes. The specialist said he could have brain damage and they'd have to wait and see how it played out. But his parents were convinced everything would be fine. And he's now two and a half. This is Navigating Parenthood, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. I'm Gretchen Miller, and we're going to talk with Melanie about her journey with Rowan of parenting Arlo and his younger sister, Odette. But before we get into the show, some necessary information to remind you, this podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice about your situation. HCF doesn't adopt or endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. And if you're feeling depressed or anxious and need to talk to someone now, please call Lifeline on 13114 and do talk to your doctor for health advice and services. Around 7% of Australian children have a disability, so today's show is all about parenting a child with special needs. And along with Melanie, we're joined by Joan Brattell, clinical consultant at the Cerebral Palsy Alliance. Thank you both for coming in. To you first, Melanie, in the moments after Arlo was born, what happened? Take us through that week. So it was four days past his due date. So I was very pregnant, very over it. And I noticed that Arlo's movements were a bit different. He wasn't himself. He was, wasn't moving as much. And they say to you throughout the pregnancy, if the movements are different, alert, you know, go into hospital, do something about it. So we went in and it was the morning. I was all prepped to be induced. And we were watching the heart monitor. And then all of a sudden it dropped really, really low. So Rose sort of ran out and said, um, this has happened. And then she came in and got the stethoscope out and was sort of look, searching around my belly and couldn't find any heartbeat. So immediately the button was pressed. About 10 specialists ran into the room. There were people everywhere. And I was suddenly being prepped. Like I even think my pubic hairs were being shaved off as we were running down the corridor and into theatre. And the next thing I remember was waking up and being wheeled into what I didn't know at the time was the NICU. And they put Arlo on my shoulder and he was covered in tubes and he looked straight at me. His little navy blue eyes looked straight into my eyes. And I remember the nurses and everyone around were like, wow, that's a very alert baby. That doesn't, they don't usually do that. Sounds like an extraordinary journey. And after that, in the next couple of days, what was being said to you? I was quite happy. And we, at that point, didn't know that anything was wrong. And we knew what had happened and that he'd been without oxygen for a little while. But I was sort of in this lovely, fuzzy, I've got this new baby. I didn't have to look after the new baby. I was getting to sleep and recover quite well. And then after a couple of days, I could go down and see him. 
what they did was they cooled him down for 72 hours, apparently to stop any further brain damage. So we couldn't actually hold him. Was that really hard for you not to be able to hold your baby? Yes, that was hard. Um, I really just wanted to, because he looked, he was cold, he was cooled down. So he was cold in this little bed and he was shivering and he was very well looked after by the nurses there, but we weren't allowed to really even touch him at that point. So on day four, we got to hold him. He still had all these tubes coming out of him, but it was just so wonderful to be able to hold him in our arms. And then we were taught how to give him a bath. We were able to look after him a lot more. But we had a meeting the day that we left, and it was at that meeting that the paediatric neurologist sort of said to us, there is brain damage. Um, he'd had an MRI, and it showed bilateral brain damage in the motor section. But they said, we just need to wait and see what that means. And what did you feel about that as you took Arlo home and watched him start to grow as young babies do? Were you comparing him to other children? Because at some point you get introduced to mother's group and you see other babies as well. And, and mothers do tend to do a bit of comparison. Were you starting to notice things there? Not in the early days. And despite being warned that there might be problems, we were sure it was all going to be fine. And our parents would say, it's all going to be fine. And we just told ourselves it's all going to be fine. And in the first few weeks, you really couldn't tell. And because he was our first child, we really couldn't tell. I think now that we have a second, we would have known. I mean, he, he was quite stiff, but then you'd hear, oh, tone can go away as they grow up. There was, there's always some story you can cling to. So it wasn't really until he was about three months and not meeting his milestones that we started to notice. So I went to the mother's group. I did all those things and I just thought he was okay and he fed well. Joan, can we come to you now? It's often quite a while before disabilities of any kind show with little babies, it seems, and parents do have to wait. Certainly today, I mean, with research, they're able to diagnose some of the difficulties, disabilities earlier. What sort of age are we talking about? Well, with cerebral palsy, for example, doctors would rarely make a clear diagnosis till about 18 months. Now, with research, they're able to diagnose round about three months whether a child has got a significant risk. That means, of course, you can get in early. You can really start, you know, with therapy at a much earlier age and very specifically to target it at what the difficulties are. I think for parents too, there's sometimes um, a reassurance that, hang on, you are actually identifying what they are always somewhere here concerned about, that someone's saying yes, and this is what we're going to do about it. So Melanie, tell me about the diagnosis. When did that happen? And did you understand how your life would change from that moment? So we got the diagnosis when Arlo was six months old, and uh, it was given to us by a very kind paediatrician who said, look, I'm just going to give this diagnosis now so as you can get in there with the early intervention, you can access funding. I clung to that and said, oh, it's a hasty diagnosis. 
it, you know, it might not even be so. And what was the diagnosis? It was cerebral palsy. Right. At that point, the severity wasn't clear. It later became obvious that it was quadriplegic cerebral palsy. And he's more dystonic than spastic, which makes him a little bit complicated <laughs> as well. What does that mean? So his movements, the message from his brain to his limbs, his body, those messages are scrambled. So as soon as he tries to do something, it throws him off. So he can move. He's got full range in all of his limbs. But as soon as the intention is there, it just throws, he really, he stiffens up. As soon as he's excited or upset, he stiffens up. Apparently he'll manage this as he gets older a bit better. (laughs) But it's quite tricky to work with. And I guess how this manifests in a small baby and a toddler is he's not mobile, left to his own devices. He can lie there. He can move his limbs, but he can't roll. He can't sit. So I can imagine that you went through quite a complex emotional journey yourself and Rowan. Would you mind taking us a little on that journey? So You immediately thought hasty diagnosis, Mm. so denial, yeah? Denial, but we were so sad. Even though we kept saying to ourselves, he'll be mild, it was a hasty diagnosis, we were really sad and would start crying quite randomly throughout the weeks that followed that my mum flew in. I'm from Perth and she got on a plane quick smart after the diagnosis and it was a very emotional time. Definitely there was denial and we were lucky we were able to stay in denial for, you know, quite some time as it kind of, it came on slowly. Uh, But we were really, really sad. Did you get angry or depressed? There was a lot of why me. Not so much anger as fear. I really desperately wanted to know what the future would look like. All I wanted was even just a glimpse at the future to see that Arlo would be walking and to see that he wouldn't appear like the images I had in my head, the very ill-informed images I had in my head of what cerebral palsy is. Mm. Uh, And then maybe tell me about how you fell into joy again. Arlo provided the joy for us throughout all of this. He's been such an engaged happy little boy and he loves books and he loves music. From early on, he's had these quite clear passions. When you're with him and when you're holding him and when you're looking into his eyes and seeing his smile, it's very hard to be sad. So he would help a lot. And we have the support of our families and friends and they were amazing throughout. This is Navigating Parenthood, the podcast which is all about you, brought to you by HCF. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, so leave us a review wherever you're listening and tell your friends to check us out too. Joan, to you, with a child born with cerebral palsy in Australia every 15 hours, this is not an uncommon journey, but there must be so many different parental responses to this news. Could you talk about some of those? 
one of the things that just moved me then was hearing you say you got pleasure and joy from your child because at this stage it is often a time where parents there's the confusion the fear as you said the going to different specialists hearing different things from different specialists and different people that it's sometimes very hard to get your head round exactly what you are facing and what your child is facing and the danger at that time is often you lose sight of the fact that they're a little baby, they're a little person. And hearing that you could sort of get the joy, I think it's one of the things that I often talk about with families is that look for the joy, look for the good things, if you like, or the strengths that all those sort of terms, but they are there and they can be lost and missed in the whole area and time. So I thought that was really special that you were able to see that in Arlo and and take some joy from it because it is a very frightening time. And uh, at Cerebral Palsy Alliance where I work, we actually many years ago to try and capture what families felt rather than what we as professionals thought or believed, we actually interviewed a whole lot of families who were further down the track and who agreed to tell their story about those early stages and what it meant. And one of the mothers said to me, I got through the first year with denial. That's how I got through the first year. And I think that's also important to recognise that we all have different ways of managing. For some families, there's high levels of anxiety and stress. Others, it's more depression, sadness. Everyone's going to react in a different way. And it's trying to support people in the way that's going to make the most difference for them. Did you get counselling and that kind of thing for yourself? Yes. I went to my GP and got a mental health plan and was referred to a psychologist who I still see now and she is amazing and she has helped a hell of a lot throughout this process, yeah. So, um, Melanie, tell me about the day-to-day parenting, what that looks like for, for you as a parent of a child with a physical disability. Uh, so Arlo has a lot of appointments. He sees his physiotherapist twice a week. He sees his occupational therapist once a week. He has three speech therapists that he sees a lot as well. And that would help you form networks of parents in similar situations, I imagine. Absolutely. So in the waiting rooms is where you will first find, I call them my special needs mum friends. I've met some dads as well. You are reluctant at the start to meet other parents. I did not want to sign up with the special needs parents club in the early days. But it's nice because in those waiting rooms, it just happens organically. You'll start by exchanging sort of a tired glance and then you might say hi at the next appointment and then people are so generous with their stories because you're all in the same boat. And I now have special needs mom friends that I go out for lunch with, go for a drink with, and I have such a great time with those women because I, they truly get it. I can truly be myself and say whatever I want to them. So, Melanie, you went on to have another child, Odette. How do you find parenting the two with their different needs? I thought it would be really sad, but it's actually just fascinating. 
to see the two different parts and I now really understand what a struggle it is for Arlo when these things have not developed so naturally as they do in a typical child. And watching Odette reach her milestones, what's that like? It was mind-blowing for us. She surpassed Arlo insofar as motor and fine motor skills are concerned pretty early on. And even things she does with her tongue or her fingers, they have just blown our mind because we haven't experienced that before. And she is fiercely independent. She has always insisted on feeding herself. She's never let us put a spoon to her mouth. She has been feeding herself since she was five months old. And she plays independently so beautifully. And I don't know if that's because of low-level neglect on our part or if it's because we've been gifted with this child that doesn't need as much care because we do still have to spoon-feed Arlo and give Arlo so much care. Feeling that joy in watching Odette developing in this way, is there any kind of feeling of guilt? I think the guilt would be a very natural reaction to have. And other mothers that I've spoken to in this situation have felt that. I am more so worried when I look at Arlo looking at Odie, I fear that he's figuring it out, that he is seeing that there are things he could be doing that he's not. But I'm trying to have faith that he is his own person. He's got his own things going on and that he'll be all right. But I guess my concern, my sadness isn't for myself. I'm just finding it fascinating to watch them both do their thing. But I do worry that Arlo will feel sad when he sees his limitations. Yes. Joan, with two children with very different needs, what do parents need to take into consideration given that love and attention is what makes all children thrive, but one might need more time than the other? It starts to have more impact as the children get a little bit older. Be prepared for the fact that the children will start to ask the questions or the sibling will start to ask the questions. And that's where sometimes having having the support around how you answer those questions, uh, which again is individual to every family. Every family has a different way of, of managing that and where family support is so important or friendship support is so important. And friends that have been through it who can say, look, this is what I found was helpful. It might be helpful for you. Melanie, I'm wondering how you've changed from the before children to after children in the way that you feel about parenting. Before children, I didn't feel anything about parenting. I wasn't especially maternal. We sort of thought if we can have a child, wonderful. If not, we'll be okay. So I didn't think about it much. And I think that has helped me. I didn't have any sort of grand expectations around what parenting would be. I expected it to be like it is on the box, typical enough but I wasn't attached to any great dreams around it. Now, I think of parenting as very hard, which I think every parent would say. And in the case of Arlo, very, very hard, but also enormously rewarding. Parenthood has given me a sense of purpose that I never had before. And I think you can get that out of other things, certainly. But for me, I no longer sort of question, what am I doing here? (laughs) 
and especially with looking after Arlo and for playing such a key role in helping him reach his potential. That's been really rewarding. And how has this experience affected your relationship with your partner? I thought I loved him before. Now I I really, really, really love him. He's been incredible throughout this experience and I know that's not the case for a lot of other families. Like It's a very stressful scenario when your child has a disability and I think there are some horrible statistics out there saying that people do tend to split up under these circumstances. But Ro and I really have become closer. We lean on each other a lot. Just last night, Ro got home from work and took one look at me and said, go to the movies, just go. We look after each other and love each other even more. I've been really, really lucky in that sense. And just seeing him as a father and seeing him with Arlo and Odie has just been so wonderful. Do you get a a break from your caring role? What do you do when you two take time out for yourselves? Ah, so we're lucky in that we have Arlo in daycare two days a week. We found a beautiful local daycare who have just taken to him, learnt all his physio exercises and things. And yeah, he's really found another family there now, which is great. And Ro and I both work. So we're quite busy. We don't often get time together as a couple. We both work from home a lot though, which is great. So we are together, even if we're not very present with one another, we're under the same roof. But insofar as my me time, I'll go to the movies, I'll go to a bar class, I'll go for a walk, I'll read a book. Yeah, I'll have a bath. Just little things really help. Yes. So yes, relationships. Goodness knows that children make enormous changes to parental relationships with one another. What should parents keep at the back of their mind on this front? Yes, sometimes relationships don't always survive the the stress and the pressure. And there are often times where there is not that support network. Having a good support network, whether it be friends or family, is so important because that does allow you to have a little bit of time for yourself. But I think it is a very individual thing. Every person has a different way of handling stressful, difficult, frightening situations. I've seen some families where one partner will be fairly relaxed and will go with the advice and what is being given and the other partner wants to know everything and and becomes absolutely sort of so energised in finding everything that there is no me time, there is no coming together time, there's no relaxing time. And if I was to sort of say anything, it is try and build up your support relationships and know that it is okay to take time for yourself, that if you can keep your cup half full, then that is going to make a difference to your children. And it is not being selfish and it's not being uncaring. It's actually doing what's necessary to be able to be there for your children. Indeed. Melanie, do you worry that Arlo's condition will impact Odette's childhood as she as she grows up? Yes. There's this thing called the forgotten sibling, which you hear about in special needs scenarios. So I think we are super conscious of not forgetting her and making sure we do have that one-on-one time with her. I'm actually a bit excited to see 
how this impacts her, though, because the siblings of special needs children that I've met have been amazing. I wish I'd had more of an awareness of children living with disabilities when I was growing up because Arlo was really my first experience of a child with a disability. And I feel like my eyes were closed to such a huge segment of the world. And I'm quite excited that Odie will be growing up with this knowledge and experience. Joan, what's your advice on building the relationship between the two children themselves? I think one is is honesty and actually helping the sibling understand what the situation is and explaining to them. I think the other thing is too, exactly as Melanie has said, give time to both. Have special time. This is our special time. But most importantly, bring them together. Make them feel they're part of the overall family and that you're a unit and you're all contributing in in various ways. And uh, we have some marvellous parents uh, with families, large families, who've given advice around how they've managed to bring all the family together. And that seems to be the common thing is to sort of make them feel part of it, that they're not something separate. Make them feel part of it, but also have special me time with, with the children. Can I ask you both for final words of advice for parents of children with special needs? I think for many families, it is that you can share your story, but at the end of the day, it's your story and you've got to make meaning in the best way you can with your story and what your situation is. Look after yourself. I think that's a most important thing and that gives you the sort of resources to look after your children. Firstly, it's okay. It's not going to be what you think it's going to be. You might not have much control over what's going on. You wouldn't anyway as a parent, but what you can control is their childhood. So find out what lights them up, see what their hobbies are, and let them take the lead in that sense. Wise words. Thank you both for joining us on Navigating Parenthood. Melanie Dimmitt and Joan Brattell consultant psychologist with the Cerebral Palsy Alliance. And listeners, if today's content has left you feeling anxious and you need to speak to someone now, call Lifeline on 131114 or check in with your doctor for any ongoing concerns. This is Navigating Parenthood brought to you by HCF. I'm Gretchen Miller and if you enjoyed the show, do share us with your friends and family. Leave us a review on your favourite podcast app. It's so easy and we love to hear from you. You'll find more information from HCF in the episode notes and I'll see you next time. Life's full of little bumps. Some you can plan for, some you can't. That's why HCF created My Family Packages, great value hospital cover for pregnancy, birth and beyond. Visit hcf.com.au today. 12-month waiting period applies.